Now, if I, if I challenged you to um, just off the cuff, you don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to think about it. What, is there a, a New Testament scripture that if someone said, tell me your favorite Bible verse, that you could speak from memory, something that you're hanging on to? Do you, do you have one? Okay, I would say that among the scripture in the New Testament, those that are most quoted, referenced, and prayed through, there's probably only a handful of words uh, that surpass the words found in Paul's prayer for the Ephesians recorded in the letter to that church that he loved. Listen, listen what he prayed. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, we, we talked about, if you were here last week, we talked about that passage of Scripture because it serves as a foundation for this series. God is able, He desires, to do immeasurably more when we are with Him. Or as Paul put it, when He is at work within us. When we are in union with Christ, we can expect to experience immeasurably more more. Now, we, we confess it. It's one of those prayers that we pray. We, we pray it. We may even at times claim it with the hopes that immeasurably more will define our lives. It will be a part of our story. But at the heart of this series lies this question. Do we experience it? Do you experience immeasurably more? Would your lives be a testimony of immeasurably more with God? I think honesty compels us to wonder about the whole idea. Is immeasurably more meant for us here and now? When it comes to our expectations of life with God, it, it seems like immeasurably unmet might be a better description of what we experience. So, I think if we were honest, we, we struggle to believe that immeasurably more is really what God wants for us on this side of heaven, because the reality is, most of us, if we were honest, would say, yeah, I'm not really living immeasurably more. It's, that's not exactly what's going on. So I, I think at the heart of our struggle is the struggle to believe that God wants abundant life for us. And I think the issue is we struggle to believe that God really loves us. Okay, that might not be fair. I think we know God loves us. We read, we sang about it today, right? For God so loved, we know He loved us because He sent His Son to die for us. Maybe, maybe, maybe the struggle is that we're not sure He likes us. 
that, that he looks approvingly upon us and really wants immeasurably more for us. See, in, in our hearts and minds, we probably think we're the problem. And, and if we could do something to make ourselves more likable, uh, maybe by getting ourselves straightened out, or if we, we did a better job of fixing our faults and following all the rules, then, then God would like us more and make immeasurably more happen. But would he? Is that, is, is that really how it works? Well, I've got good news if you're wondering those things. Jesus uh, told a very familiar parable that addresses this very idea. Now, as, as you read it, as we read it together in just a moment, by the way, it's found in Luke chapter 15, so if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can turn ahead there, but hang, hang with me for a moment, because if you, when you read it, you're going to say, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure this applies. Now, I think we're going to see that because of the way we've been conditioned to read his words, we've developed a very narrow framework and and of application for this parable of what Jesus was really talking about. But today we're going to take a fresh look at this parable and see that union with God and therefore immeasurably more is really what Jesus was talking about. It's, it's at the heart of this story. Now, as I said, it's found in Luke chapter 15. It's the last of three stories that Jesus told in succession. He was teaching his audience, which, by the way, was comprised of rebellious scoffers and religious scholars. So there are two groups of people who are at polar opposite ends of the belief spectrum. Okay? Rebellious scoffers. There were the, the tax collectors there. And... There were religious scholars, those, those people whose life it was to know the Word of God. Now, he was teaching that audience that God pursues everyone who is separated from him, and because of that separation, they are experiencing immeasurably less than life God created them to live. Okay, now first, he told the story of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep under his care. One of them wandered off. The shepherd left the 99 behind, pursued the one, found him, put him on his shoulders, brought him back to the group, and had a party with all the other shepherds. Then he tells the story of a woman who lost 10% of her life savings in the form of one silver coin. She tore her house up looking for it, found it in the couch cushions, and then when she found it, she invited all of her friends and neighbors to celebrate. And he wraps up this trilogy of parables with the most well-known parable of all. It's found in Luke chapter 15, and it begins in verse 11. So let's, you can read it with me. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. 
set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, Oh, I mean, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Really, I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he wasn't even paying him any attention. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Well, your brother's come home, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother rejoiced. I read that wrong. The older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. So his father went out with him. His father went out with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Father, I pray that as we... Go slowly and think deeply about this great story that Jesus told. I pray that your spirit would enlighten us to your truth. That our hearts and minds would be challenged and changed. And we would be compelled to go with you. To celebrate union with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, when we read this parable, we always refer to it as the parable of the prodigal son, right? As a matter of fact, if, if you have 
the NIV, then you know that the line above the parable, above verse 11, says the parable of the lost son. Okay, that, that, that's what we think the title is. That's what we think the story is about. But that perspective is a bit myopic. It's too narrow. Why? Because if, if we set our preconceptions aside and look closely at the story itself, what we discover is that Jesus did not designate this story as the story of the prodigal, one rebellious ragamuffin. It wasn't about one child. Look what Jesus said to introduce the story and set the context. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, here's what it says. Jesus continued, there was a man who had what? Two sons. Two sons. One son in the story, remember there are two groups of people listening to Jesus. One son in the story represented the rebellious scoffers in the crowd, and one represented the religious scholars. Both of these young men were critical to the story. Now, if, if you know the story, then you know this to be true. We just kind of fail to acknowledge it. But from the beginning, Jesus was saying, this is a story about two sons. Not one. Two. By the way, two sons that had the exact same experience with the father. And just hold on, we're going to get there. But I want to plant that seed. These two sons had the same experience with the father. Now the part of the story, the part of the parable that we have down pat is the part about the prodigal, right? In a, in a fit of narcissistic selfishness, the young man insisted that his father give him his share of the inheritance early so he could get out and get out moving. Okay? He, he didn't like the rules of the household. He didn't like the rules of the community they lived in. He wanted to live his life while he was young, and he knew he needed to get as far away from home as he could get. Now, what you may not know about that culture at that time, but... This demand to be given his inheritance was the equivalent of the son telling the father to drop dead. That was his hope. That his father would just drop dead. He was literally, when he asked for that inheritance, he was severing his relationship with the father. And from that point forward, he would live his life as if his father were dead and buried. Just forgetting his past. And so what does the father do? Stands up for custom, no way, I'm not going to do all that stuff. No, heartbroken. Literally heartbroken. The father complied with his wishes. And surprisingly, Jesus says that he divided his estate between his sons, both of them, at that moment, both of them. Now, at this point, what happens? The younger son joyfully packs his bags and heads out to get as far away from his father and his beliefs in his community as he could get. 
So going to a distant land, he, by the way, which means he moved out of the Jewish community. He moved totally away from his faith. He rebelled, just like those tax collectors who in the audience had rebelled. When he got away from the group, he began to live it up. He actually squandered the considerable inheritance in what Jesus called wild living. His brother had some other thoughts later. So what happens? Much to his chagrin, a severe famine brings about a recession, and the prodigal fell into extreme poverty. He blew through his inheritance and had nothing. And so with no other options, he goes out and gets a job that is unfit even for Jewish slaves. He tends pigs, unclean animals that Jews are forbidden to touch. And things were so bad for him, he was so hungry that he longed to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. No one gave him anything. And he was convinced, as he says, that he was going to starve to death. So what happened? His destitution brought him to his senses. Sometimes that happens when we hit the bottom, right? Things become crystal clear. He came to his senses. And what did he think about? He began to think about home. He thought about his father, who was a really good man. As a matter of fact, his father's hired men had more food than they could eat. And so he decided that he would humble himself, that he would return to his father, apologize for his foolishness, and beg for a job. That's all he wanted. Not immeasurably more, just a job. He wanted to be one of the servants because he was hungry. And so he makes the long journey home. And as he's walking up the driveway, before he could show any remorse or contrition for what he had done, his father saw him. He runs to greet him with grace, throws his arms around him, and begins to kiss him. Then the father did everything in his power to provide immeasurably more than the prodigal could ask or imagine. What did he do? He broke out the fancy go-to-meeting clothes. He struck up the band. He barbecued the prize calf. The prodigal was only hoping for a job three squares a day, but the father blew him away with his grace by restoring to him Everything he had thrown away, everything he had squandered, was restored. The father had the power to do that. He had the power to give him immeasurably more. And in the process, he showed him, look, I, I, it's, not, I, it's not that I love you, I like you, I'm thrilled that you're back. I want you to be with me. Now, you know the Father is the example of God the Father in that story, right? What did the Father show? That he wanted nothing more than to be with them. 
He wanted nothing more than for his son to enjoy all the blessings of life with him. With him. It didn't matter what he had done. And he had done a lot. What mattered was that he was there and he could be with him. Could be. Now, of course, the blessing of being with the Father was immeasurably more. That's what it is. We celebrate that the child who was lost was found. But we also recognize that's not the end of the story. Remember, he had two sons. There was an older brother who, by the way, had not taken his inheritance and run off, although the father gave it to him. As as a matter of fact, he did the only honorable thing that a man could do in that culture. He stayed and served the family cause. He worked the family land. He worked on the farm doing his part to support the father and the community. He, he, had, he had been with the father all along. He had been with him. So what happens? He's out there doing his job. Working in the field. And then when the day is over, this thin-skinned son, very sensitive, this thin-skinned son who, who thought his father owed him an explanation for everything that was going on in the family, he makes his way home, and to his surprise, not delight, but to his surprise, he encounters a party in full swing. Remember the band, the barbecue, the whole deal, dancing. And he got all up in his feelings, and instead of going to see for himself, he was insulted that the father didn't tell him what was happening. And so he waited outside, and when a servant came by, he asked him what all that was about. Now, what did the servant say? He told him the truth. Dude, your brother's home. It's a great day. Your dad has killed the prized calf. There's a party. Now at this point, as we know, he did not do what the father did. Okay, think about that. He did not do what the father did and rush in to hug his brother's neck. I get it. Like, I mean, when we're like standing over this story, we're like, what a terrible guy. No, I totally get it. I, I think he had pretty good reasons to be sideways with his brother. At least two good ones. You, you think about it. He lived through the shame of what his brother did to his family. Everybody in the community 
was talking about that family. How crazy was it for the dad to give the inheritance and how insulting that the son spit on his dad and moved off to squander everything his father had given him. It was shameful in that community. I think he had a reason to be mad. Even worse than that, He had a front row seat to the pain that his father endured. I mean, can can you imagine your son, the baby of your family, telling you, I wish you were dead? Give me my stuff and let me go? Heartbreaking. And so... I, I think it's pretty makes sense, right? We can understand that he wasn't quite ready to roll out the red carpet and welcome his little brother home. I get that if that were true. The only problem with that perspective is that neither one of these issues had anything to do with his actions. Neither one of them. It wasn't about the shame his brother caused or the pain his father experienced. He was angry and refused to go in, not because of righteous indignation, but because, like his brother, he was profoundly selfish. That was the issue. Do you remember what he said to the father? Look at verses 29 and 30. But he answered his father, yelling at him. You you don't do that. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Really? Slaving for you? All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You, yet, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. Wow. You you think he's kind of overcooked it there, or is that really how he feels? Now, I want you to remember who he represents. The religious scholars. Those who knew the Word and put on a show living the Word. Those who believed God owed them for their righteousness. So he had been, in his mind, slaving for the Father, dutifully doing everything he was told to do, and not one time, not one time had he gotten so much as a goat to throw a party for his friends. But as he pointed out, that ingrate son of yours who squandered your fortune on prostitutes comes home broke and manipulating you just like he did when you you gave him the inheritance. He comes home broke and he gets not a goat but the prized calf. He was really bitter. 
He deserved better. You know what his objections reveal? That he was unlike his brother because of his proximity to the Father. I've always been here. I've always kept the rules. I've always done the work. Like I had no choice. I was like a slave. But, so he was different from the prodigal, but on the other hand, his words revealed that he was just like the prodigal in that he had never been with his father. Yes, he had been with him in proximity. That's what the dad says to him. You have always been with me. What he was talking about, you've always been around me, just like those religious scholars had always been around God and his word. But you know, you know what the problem was? There was no union. There was no connection. There was no relationship. If there had been a relationship, would he have believed himself to be a slave? He didn't and had never looked at life through his father's eyes. And he did not care about what his father cared about. He was around, but he really wasn't with. If he had been with him, he would have rushed in that house to celebrate. And hey, if he couldn't celebrate the brother, he could have at least celebrated the happiness of the father. Remember those other stories? When the shepherd found the sheep, there was a party. When the woman found her coin, there was a party. When the dad found the son, the prodigal son, there was a party. But he couldn't celebrate. Now, it's at this point. Remember when I told you to hold on to the fact that they have the same experience? It is at this point where both the prodigal and the older, colder brother have the exact same experience. What happened when the prodigal son came home? The father saw him outside on the driveway and ran to bring him in, right? What happened when the older, colder brother was standing on the very same driveway refusing to come in? What happened? The scripture says, Jesus says, the father went out to plead with him to come in. They had the same experience. They were both living through immeasurably less. They were both separated from the Father. One separated but in the room and one separated but out of the country. Both separated. Both struggling. Both the objects of the Father's affection. Both of them. And the father went to both. He accepted the prodigal by his grace. The prodigal received the grace and went in to be with the father. 
And then he went out to accept and love the petulant, older, colder brother who refused him. I wonder if it's because he didn't need in his mind the Father's grace. Remember, he had always been there. He had served like a slave, always obeyed orders. He didn't need grace. He earned it. And he refused it. The prodigal accepted the grace and entered his father's happiness. The older brother rejected it and stayed outside. But here's what Jesus is saying. The grace, the love, the acceptance, the desire of the Father was for both. Both of them could have entered his happiness. Both of them could have had immeasurably more than they were experiencing. Immeasurably more than they had ever had before. You know what happened? He When the prodigal came home, he made everything available to him and he received it gladly. And he told the older son, everything I have is yours, but he never received it. Why? Because he didn't understand the father. He was always too busy playing by the rules, trying to get everything right and earn his way. And he missed the way. So what's the message? What the father had for his two sons, both of them, the father has for us. What he had for his two sons, our heavenly father has for us. Some of us are a long way from the father. And you need to come home. You haven't received his grace, but I'm telling you right now, if you're looking toward home, God the Father is looking down the road and he sees you. And he has nothing but grace for you. And he's running to you to accept you right where you are. And to bring you in to be with him. You just need to trust it. You know the prodigal sitting out there and being loved by the father. He could have said oh gosh when I get in there. I know he's probably just putting on a show out here. But when we get behind closed doors. He's, this is going to be bad. I'm going to get it. I don't know that I want to go in there. 
you know what he did? He trusted the Father. Just like we place our faith in Jesus and trust that this amazing story of God's wonderful grace is true and it's for us and God wants us to be with him. No matter how far you are, if you just turn your eyes toward home, God meets you with grace, forgiveness, and restores you to the family and begins walking with you on the journey to immeasurably more. You accept his offer to come in. The scripture says you have eternal life and abundant life. That's immeasurably more. Now, not all of us are on the outside looking in. Some of us are we're around like this is who we've been forever we can't imagine a time in our lives when we weren't associated with the church we weren't going to church and maybe even reading scripture and we had one of those bible verses we talked about earlier in our minds like we know the deal and we you know we we follow the culture we do what we're supposed to do we stay in line we people look at us and say you know what they're bookers But I, I wonder if you would admit that you've been close but not connected. That there's a uniformity. You look right. You, maybe you act right, but there isn't unity with the Father. I, I wonder if in your mind it's more duty than relationship. And... You're, you're hoping, like, if I just get this right, I'm, I'm doing my deal here. God's going to, like, he's going to like me, and he's going to give me immeasurably more. Or maybe you're just in that place where the frustration is compounding, and you're like, look, I've, I've done my duty. I've earned the goat. Maybe even the fattened calf, but I'm getting nothing. I've performed I should have made myself likable, earned immeasurably more, but I'm not getting it. And so you, you realize that I'm actually resentful toward God. He should have done something by now. And, and you know what God says to you? Exactly what he said to the older cold brother. Hold on a minute. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. By grace, in relationship, when you are with me, when you are with me, you enter my happiness. You care about what I care about. You celebrate what I celebrate. It may surprise you, but the issue came down to an unwillingness to celebrate. The older brother just couldn't find joy in what delighted the heart of God. 
which is restoration of relationship. Do you seek, pull for, pray for the restoration of relationships of those around you? Or are you too focused on you and what you're experiencing to be able to celebrate what God is doing? God says, look, it's union with me that facilitates my power within you that leads you immeasurably more. It is a byproduct of my grace, not your performance. And when you've received my grace, you'll have my heart. And I'll have yours. And we'll be in a relationship that leads to the blessing of immeasurably more. Let's pray. First, if, if you're on the outside looking in, if you're in a different country, you would identify with those religious scoffers who rejected God and reject Jesus. And let me tell you, uh, God loves you. He likes you. He wants to be with you. If you turn your head toward home, he'll come running to you with the good news of grace and acceptance. And you can receive it by faith and enter the celebration, just like the prophet. And it's no more complicated than that. Father, I pray, Lord, for those who are not believing today, who have not accepted Jesus, that they would recognize your grace and your desire to be with them, that you love them, you like them, you want to be with them, so they can experience the abundant, immeasurably more that you've designed them for. Father, may your grace connect with their faith today so they can be adopted into your family. Father, for those of us who have been with you, or at least in proximity for a long time, I, I pray, Father, that we would recognize the truth in this story, that it's not dutiful service that gives us immeasurably more. It's still grace accepting your grace. I pray, Father, if we have wandered away from grace, if we've been resentful because we aren't experiencing immeasurably more, I, I pray, Father, that we would hear the Spirit's call to move to relationship. be united with you so our lives would be a testimony of immeasurably more it's in the very strong name of Jesus I pray